Oh, boy. <laughs> so I have to tell you a little commercial, okay? Not like that commercial. Uh, it is so good to be your preacher. I, I appreciate the opportunity that you give me every week uh, to be here with you, uh, and it's a privilege. So thank you for letting me be your preacher. Uh, and if you have not signed your kids up for Superstart, do it. Do it. Uh, my kid goes... And she comes back, and uh, she has such a wonderful, positive experience uh, with people in the church, uh, around the church. Uh, it is just so worth it to send your kids to Superstart. All right? You know, in my family growing up, we used to do puzzles. Any of you all do puzzles? Any, anybody? We would take these puzzles, uh, big puzzles, like, you know, those... Those puzzles, not with like the giant pieces that you can do in five minutes and you can try and figure out how to do as fast as you can. No, I'm talking about, I'm talking about the puzzles that have the small little pieces. You know what I'm talking about? The thousand piece puzzles, the 2,000 piece puzzle, the 5,000 piece puzzles, the, the ones that, that you're sitting there for days. Does this one fit? Nope, nope. Does this one fit? And, and what we would do, and maybe you try and fill out your puzzles in the same way, but we would always put the border on the puzzle first, right? We needed some boundary so that we knew all the different sections and all the different scenes within the puzzle would come within the boundary, and then inevitably each member of the family would begin to take uh, different sections of the puzzle and we begin to put them together and eventually they'd all kind of uh, come together into this wonderful picture. Our series on Hashtag has kind of been like putting a puzzle together, and we have tried to, uh, to take you and give you the boundaries of Scripture. And we've tried to give you different sections by giving you different characters of Scripture. And we started with Adam, remember? Uh, way back, uh, Adam, the very first person, the representative of all of mankind, right? And, and God had set him and his bride into a garden and had given him good things. And he said, just one thing you shouldn't do. You shouldn't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And of course, uh, this whole thing comes down and Adam and his wife Eve sin and they rebel against God and even though they know they, they shouldn't. And we find of Adam that even in the midst of sin, even in the midst of, of rebellion, of a, of a separated relationship with God, even though there's now a, a, a distance between God and man that there wasn't before, God brings a promise that there's going to be someone else, there's going to be another Adam to come. And then we walked over and we saw Abraham. And Abraham, we found, wasn't always faithful, but God used him and gave him a promise. And God said, with what faith you have been, that you have displayed, Abraham, I'm going to bring a promise. And that promise was that he was going to be a great nation, uh, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And you come uh, to the end of the Abraham story in Genesis, and we find that the completion of that promise hadn't come yet. 
And so we anticipate that God is going to continue to keep His promise that He made to Abraham that something else is coming. Another point is going to come to completion. God still has in plan a process where His promise to Abraham is going to be completed. And then we walked over and we saw Moses. And God's people had been separated and they had been in slavery and God came and He redeemed them from a slavery that they could not themselves redeem themselves from. And He gave them a law. And it wasn't just any law, it was law so that they could find themselves again in relationship with God. It was really all about relationship. And even though they continued to break it, we have this idea uh, through the writings of Moses that there's someone else coming, uh, that there's something else going to happen in in which the relationship is going to come barreling back toward God. That there's someone who's going to bring and carry His people back to Himself again. And last week, We looked at David, this wonderful king who didn't always get everything right, who who in fact did some things really wrong, and yet he was called a man after God's own heart, not because he made mistakes, but because he was obedient to God. He desired surrender to God, so even when he was caught, even when he was caught, he sought obedience to the Lord. And all of these people, all of Scripture, all of these different sections of the puzzle, if you will, are pointing in one direction. And they're pointing at the hashtag for today. They're pointing at the hashtag Jesus. All of Scripture is pointing to Jesus. Adam Adam makes us think of another Adam to come. Jesus is going to continue to fulfill this promise to Abraham. He's going to reign on the king, uh, on, the, on the throne of David, and announce the kingdom that will never end. He's going to bring relationship into its, into its climax in Himself, so that people can have a relationship with God. Scripture is pointing to Jesus. Uh, The authors of Scripture are pointing to Jesus. The characters of Scripture are, are looking to Jesus. They expect Jesus. They're waiting for Jesus. So when we look at the puzzle of Scripture, when we look at the different scenes and sections They all seem to come into focus more clearly when we look at the person of Jesus. The question is not whether Jesus fits in Scripture. Oh, Jesus does fit in all of Scripture. The question is whether Jesus fits with you. Why should you fit Jesus into your life? Uh, Why should you fit Jesus as a section into your puzzle? 
Uh, why should you allow him giant space in your picture? Uh, why should you allow him space? Why bother with Jesus? Why make room for him? Well, this morning there is a, a menagerie of Scripture. There's the richness of Scripture that, that one after another begins to take us back to Jesus and answer the questions of why in the world uh, we should bother to fit Jesus into our sections of our puzzle. What we're going to see is that, that Jesus as a human being, not concentrating entirely on His his transcendence, but His imminence, that He is able uh, to come and free us in ways that we can't possibly begin to imagine. That what Jesus does for us is He comes, and, and, and because He's absolutely human, He's able to help us in ways that nobody else can. And that Jesus answers life's deepest, darkest questions. He takes the inquiries that we most have and He says, let me give you answers that no one else can give. Jesus liberates us. Are you aware of this? He liberates us. He frees us. He takes the bondage and He... And He makes it go away. He, he takes the jail cell and He opens it up so that we might go free. Uh, join me in this first Scripture in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. If you have a pew Bible in front of you, I believe it's page 830. Jesus liberates us. He frees us. He takes us away from fear in a way that nobody else can. He acts as a representative in a way that none of us on earth could be a representative except for Jesus. He's a pioneer. He goes where no one else has gone before. Some of you Trekkies will appreciate that one. He's a trailblazer. He, he takes where there is no trail and creates one. Chapter 2 of Hebrews. Look at verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through Suffering. He, the author of Hebrews is talking about Jesus in regards to His full humanity and that He suffered and that He died. Uh, but he uses an interesting phrase. When he talks about author, uh, he is talking about Jesus as a pioneer and a trailblazer to do things that you and I can't do on our own. And he defines that. Drop down now to verse 14. What is it that Jesus has done? What is it that He has blazed a trail for? Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. 
Since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity, so that by His death He might destroy Him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and for those and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You see, we should fit Jesus into our lives because He liberates us from fear of death and of the devil. There are times that I begin to feel a little paralyzed about death. I don't know about you. Uh, There are times that I I begin to think about death and, and I think, oh, this last Christmas, we were out in Montana. It was Christmas time. It was the first Christmas that we had been without Julie, my sister-in-law. And, and although we were having a good time, everybody was thinking about the person that wasn't there, right? Maybe you've had this experience. And one of the days shortly thereafter Christmas, we decided to go out to the graveside, and I remember just us standing there. It was a cold day. Uh, we were standing there, and I just I, I knelt down beside where... Julie is buried, and I put my hands in the dirt. It was, just, it was just my way of trying to say, God, I don't understand, but I, I want to trust in you. Sometimes, in our own life experience, it's easy for death to begin to paralyze us because we don't know how it's going to happen, and we don't know oh, what's on the other side, and yet uh, what The author of Hebrews is saying here is why in the world should we fit Jesus into our puzzle? Why in the world should we allow Him a section of our lives? Because He defeats death. He he takes the weapon that Satan most holds over our heads and He says, "I I am chopping off His hand. I am taking the weapon away because I not only was human, I died and I resurrected, and through my suffering, I am taking away, I am liberating you from fear. I am restoring you in a way that you can't be restored without me. Perhaps you've been paralyzed by the fear of death, this tool that Satan tries to hold over our heads and say, aren't you afraid? And Jesus says, No longer do you have to be afraid. Why should you fit Jesus into your life? Because death no longer means anything for those who follow Jesus. You no longer have to be afraid. Maybe you have seen the six o'clock news and you begin to think, I'm I'm afraid, I'm afraid. I don't want to die in a car accident. I don't want to die on a plane or a crazy drowning or something. And Jesus is trying to say, for all those who would follow Him, you fit me into your life and the fear of death can be removed. Let me release you from it. Jesus has a place. Fit Him into your life so that He might liberate you. Now, some of you are thinking, well, okay, is that it? I've never really been paralyzed by a fear of death or maybe even Satan of the devil. But that's not the only reason, that's not the only foundational thing that Jesus brings so that uh, you might fit Him into your life. 
Uh, We're going to stay in the book of Hebrews, jump over one chapter uh, into chapter 4. We should find room to fit Jesus into our lives because He can empathize in our weaknesses. Uh, He understands at a level that maybe none of us in this room can fully understand the potential for our flaws. And He can come alongside of us and help. Chapter 4, verse 14, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We, we have one. He is a trailblazer. He acts as a representative between us and God. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. When God sent Jesus, He didn't have Him stay in heaven. He didn't have Him rain down and give orders from His heavenly throne. He sent His Son, equal with God, to the earth to become a man. And so He met at eye level all the same temptations that you and I face. And I can hear almost the minds of some of you say, oh, I, I, I'm not sure about that. I object. Jesus doesn't face the same temptations I face. I can hear some of you say, Jesus doesn't face the same temptation. He didn't have the easy access to the internet that I have. And where Jesus didn't have the internet. He certainly had opportunity And Satan would have seen for sure that Jesus was tempted with women. Was tempted to lust after something that wasn't His. And I would suggest to you that Jesus knew that temptation at a greater and more extreme level than any of us in this room could possibly imagine because He didn't succumb to the temptation. In the last part of Hebrews chapter 2, it says this in verse 18, because He Himself suffered when He was tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus actually suffered in temptation. The temptation was so great that Jesus suffered, and yet the conviction for all of Christians according to Scripture is that Jesus was tempted and was without sin. Uh, Maybe some of you are saying, "Uh, but Jesus didn't have my business. Uh, He didn't understand the business pressures and how I have to try and be maybe a little unethical at times because, uh, well, I need to feed my family. And I would suggest that Jesus knew the temptation of trying to cut corners in His own mission. You see, God had given Him a great work to do. And the temptations that we find of Satan with Jesus as he's wandering through the wilderness is Satan saying of Jesus, Jesus, won't you cut corners to the cross? Won't you cut corners to the mission that I have given to you? And so Jesus 
has known all of the varieties of temptation that you and I have faced on a daily basis, whether it be lust or unethical behavior or maybe sharp words, Jesus, according to Scripture, says He has experienced every variety of temptation that you and I have ever experienced in our life, and yet He was without sin. And what does that mean? It means that we fit Jesus into our lives because He's the one who can help us overcome the temptation. That He was there, that He lived eye level with all the temptations that we face and was without sin, which means He can help us. In fact, Paul uh, later on in a letter to the Corinthians is going to say that when we are tempted, uh, God Himself will, will give us an opportunity to step away from it. But no temptation is so large that for those followers of Christ, His Spirit can't live in you in such a large way uh, that you can't step away. He's not going to give you more temptation than you can handle. And Jesus can help. Why fit Jesus into your life? Not simply because the authors of Scripture fit Jesus into their life. Not simply because Scripture fits Jesus into its whole picture, but because Jesus can liberate you in ways that you cannot liberate yourself. Because He can set you free from a paralyzing fear of death. And because He can help you when you're undergoing temptation. But that's not even all. Uh, We could probably talk all morning long about all the ways, all the reasons, all the foundational credibility that Jesus has to be fit into your life. But I'm only going to give you one more uh, because I'm sure others of you have like a roast in the oven or something. We fit Jesus into our life because He answers life's deepest questions. The greatest inquiries that we have about our life Jesus comes along and He begins to answer uh, what it is that we're here for and why we exist. He takes our inquiries, our questions, our ponderings, and He answers them with Himself. Join me back in Ephesians chapter 2. Come back to Ephesians chapter 2. I think it's page 815 in your pew Bibles. I can give you a moment to get there. Ephesians 2. Paul is talking to Christians. He's reminding them of who they were before Christ, and he's prompting them towards something in Christ. Uh, that before Christ, uh, before they knew the grace of Christ, before they knew this ongoing relationship with Christ, uh, they were outside of the promise of God. They've come to know Christ in His grace. And now He is prompting them that this grace ought to result in some identifying marks in their life. That it ought, this grace ought to, to produce good work. Join me in verse 10. Join me in verse 10. 
For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Why in the world should we fit Jesus into our life? Well, Jesus begins to answer the very fundamental questions. Who are you? Well, who are you? You are one who was made in the image of God. Your very identity, who you are, the core of your being, is one who has God's fingerprint placed on your life. Who are you? Uh, Those of you who had come to follow Christ, you are created in Christ. Your identity is found with Him. Your name... uh, found in the book of life because you are now not just Joe, not just Mary. You are Christian. And your identity now is found in the grace that God has provided for you in Christ. Who are you? What is your identity? What's the fingerprint on your life? It's Christ. And He has transformed you. And why do you exist? Well, you understand that your purpose in this life comes in in direct parallel to who it is that you are, doesn't it? If you are, and your identity is found in Christ, and you have His fingerprint on your life, Uh, then your purpose uh, is to do good works for Him. Uh, Notice what the text says. You're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. So when your identity is found in who God is, uh, then your purpose is to do good works to glorify Him. Jesus answers life's largest questions. Why should you fit Him in? Because He's answering who you are and why you exist. I imagine Jesus creating people. And I think of Him as like a painter with every person in every painting. He looks and He puts His fingerprint on it and He goes, that's my favorite. You know what I tell my kids? I know it's lame, okay? But here's what I tell my kids. I have two kids and I tell them all the time. You're my favorite. And I'll go to the other room on the same day, in the same minute even, and I'll look at, look at my other and I'll go, I just want you to know you're my favorite. Why? Because they're all my favorite. Both of them are my favorites. And I imagine what God is doing as He speaks through Paul in Ephesians 2 is trying to say to people just like you and me, God is saying to you, you're my favorite. You're all my favorite. You're not unwanted. You have an identity. And if you will allow Jesus to fit into your larger picture, then you have tremendous purpose. You're God's favorite. You see, Jesus fits into the story of Scripture. We start with Adam. 
we look at Abraham, Moses, and David. And they're all pointing in the direction of Jesus. And here's the cool thing. Jesus comes, and He begins to point in your direction. How is it that Jesus fits with you? The earliest Christians would say things like this. There's a God-shaped hole in all of us, right? We can fill it with all sorts of things. I guess what I hope you hear this morning is that Jesus doesn't just fit into the collage of Scripture, but Jesus fits for you. And Scripture plays the melody that you should have Him in your puzzle. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for your goodness. And I pray, Lord, that we would find reason to fit you in, that you would transform, that we would follow. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that he's there with you now. And that we have the Holy Spirit. Lead us to you. We want to make Jesus fit with us. Love you, Lord. Thanks for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>